Welcome to the Arterburn Radio Transmission. Transmitting worldwide from deep in the heart of Texas. Coming to you from Hangar 18. I've just dubbed it that. It's funny because I walked into this room. It's in my family's office. It's a big 50,000 square foot warehouse. I think I said, this is kind of like Hangar 18. And then I looked over and it says Room 18. I didn't make that up. I've got Beans the Brave right here beside me. It is April the 23rd, 2023. Welcome, one and all. I thought we'd go over some headlines, some history, give you an update on the channel. I don't have my usual equipment. I can't share my screens like I normally do. But I think we've got an okay microphone. We've got an okay connection. We'll have a good show for the next 55 minutes or so. All right, folks. Well, I'm back from the Texas State Powerlifting Championship uh, down near Waco on Saturday. I went with uh, Mr. Anderson, helped me out, and Junkyard, who is often in the Rockfin chat, good friend of the show, good friend of mine, and uh, it was really positive. We we got uh, bench press and deadlift. Uh, I got all my goals, and I was able to win both my age division and the open men's, which I, again, uh, I've been powerlifting since I was a kid. I know what numbers should look like. I know what... A good lift should be, and uh, I'm nowhere near that, but uh, did good, and I'm really, um, really proud of of the team. I'll call it the team. And we had Mr. Anderson, we had Junkyard there, we had Beans of the Brave was there. Uh, she was the only dog in uh, in the auditorium, which was good because she doesn't like other dogs. Um, she's very territorial, but we had a good time. And I, I said last week, I don't know if I mentioned that I was going down there and what I was going to do specifically, but. Uh, I ended up for the first time in 22 years putting on a bench press shirt and um, I didn't, that had some fancy stuff. I mean, they've really evolved since the time I competed in powerlifting as a teenager and as a, in my early twenties, but it's been 22 years since I put on a shirt. Uh, it's a long story, but I, I didn't get to compete in bench press after 9-11. I was part of the U.S. team. I um, showed up to Bulgaria on September 10th, 2001, uh, to represent the United States. I was in the best shape of my life. And then I did uh, the invasion of uh, Afghanistan uh, and the tail end of the invasion of Iraq. And, and those two tours back to back, all the wonderful nutrition and uh, adrenal um, fatigue and all that stuff is really bad on your body. But uh, I wasn't able to get back to that that standard. But yesterday, 22 years on i was able to uh to win a competition i bench pressed uh, 351 pounds but i did it backwards i did it with my reverse grip which was uh something i've been working on for a long time because i had a pec injury uh when i was 29 and uh anyway it's great i had a lot of kids asking me how i did that they had to have a little meeting to see if it was legal because <laughs> no one that does it it's an old school powerlifting uh technique but uh, anyway i did that and i deadlifted 501 pounds so it's not too bad for for a 43 year old uh, uh gold dealer <laughs> so we had fun anyway uh thanks for everybody for being here uh let's go over some history 
first, and then we'll get into some headlines. Uh, <laughs> I, I think I, when I thought of the title for the show and I started thinking I'm, I'm broadcasting from Hangar 18, I'm like, I got to do a show on Hangar 18. That's, you know, it's not just a Megadeth song. It's there's some UFO lore and it has to do with the bodies from, from Roswell in 1947 and where the, the military kept the, uh, the, the craft and uh, even Curtis LeMay. Um, believed in that from what I understand. And Barry Goldwater believed in, in the myth or maybe the mythos of Hangar 18. So maybe we'll do a paratruther on that. I'll, I'll see who's an authority or maybe we'll just uh, get Chris Graves and Mr. Anderson together and just uh, go dig through the archives. But let's talk about some other history. As a matter of fact, I'm broadcasting from uh, this office that is my family's conference room. And uh, my dad uh, bought this place back in 2004. And they've since decorated it, and there's all kinds of stuff. I didn't even know what they had in this room. But right behind me is the Texas uh, Declaration of Independence. And uh, that's fortuitous because I wanted to talk a little bit about Texas history. Friday, of course, was uh, San Jacinto Day, and that's the 21st of April. Um, San Jacinto Day is uh, 1836, as you celebrate the victory of the Texian army over uh, the Mexican army of Santa Ana. And uh, there's a story that leads up to that and really has to do with the document that's behind me. Of course, that was signed on March 2nd, 1836, uh, four days before the Alamo would fall. Uh, March 2nd, of course, is Sam Houston's birthday. So the the um, <laughs> beans is digging into the chair. Over here. The the Declaration of Independence for for this, the country, the Republic of Texas was was signed on Sam Houston's birthday. I don't think that's an accident. Um Sam had a good timing for history, uh, and uh, you, you, if you read anything about his life, um, my favorite biography of Sam Houston was uh, written by James Haley, and I read that in, in Iraq, and uh, if you've listened to the show for a while, then you know that uh, I named my son Houston uh, after Sam. Uh, so I know a little thing or two about uh, Texas history, and uh, thanks, Beans, for <laughs> making sure she gets comfortable in this chair. All right, you sit down. Um, Anyway, so Sam Houston uh, made sure that document was was signed. And then, uh, of course, there was no aid to the Alamo. They, there was not enough reinforcements. The uh, men that came from that were tried to, to show up from Goliad with uh, Colonel Fannin, uh, he turned back and they were all uh, slaughtered. They were all executed. Uh, Colonel Fannin, of course, asked not to be shot in the face uh, because he wanted a Christian burial and the Mexican army shot him in the face. Uh, it was very bloody. He had 187 defenders of the Alamo. Um, and really nobody knows the numbers of how many uh, Mexican troops there were. Uh, but it's estimated, I mean, it's between three to 5,000, somewhere in there. But you had 187 defenders of the Alamo. Um, there was a, to a total body count, supposedly, of around 1,500 Mexican troops because the uh, Alamo defenders used grape shot in the cannons. It's like a big shotgun. And they would load it up with nails and, you know, iron part, whatever you could get. There was a that would be a projectile and they would use it like a big blast. And then, of course, the way that they got over the walls, the other troops, they climb over the bodies. So there's this Pyrrhic victory uh, for Santa Ana. And that's what started. That's why it's from. So from March 6th to April 21st, you have this big gap. And that's known as the runaway scrape where uh, Sam Houston, he leads the army. And that's a whole other story in and of itself where, you know, there's this guy who's 
was governor of Tennessee at 35, had this promising political career, promising um, military career because he was a general and he worked for Andrew Jackson. Um, but he married a young woman who was, you know, their family was very well connected. She was like 18 and her name was Eliza Allen. And she didn't want to be married after about two or three weeks. And it made it look like he was a crazy person. And she was just really in love with another man. And so he had to like resign his, you know, his governorship. He wouldn't live with the Cherokee. Uh, they, you know, that's why they called him. He had a nickname. He lived with the Cherokee when he was a kid. But they called him the Raven. And uh, he lived in Arkansas for a long time. Anyway, made his way down to Texas. He's this outcast, you know, kind of half famous, um, half infamous. And he ends up leading the army. Well, the army wanted to abandon him because he wouldn't turn and fight Santa Ana. And he kept really quiet. Uh, and uh, he, all, he got to the point where he almost lost his army. They wanted to mutiny. Um, but he knew that if he could draw up Santa Ana long enough, that he would divide his forces and it would be something he could do a counterattack. And um, of course, that's exactly what happened. Uh, he, um, Santa Ana divided his forces between him and his brother-in-law, General Koss. And uh, that happened uh, right around the time that they got to a little place called uh, San Jacinto. And the reason they called it a runaway scrape is because Sam Houston kept running away, uh, drawing up his, you know, Sam Houston's supply lines further and further and further away. He used the, the analogy that something that Wellington had done uh, to Napoleon at Waterloo, you know, just teasing them with the presence, uh, not engaging directly and something that Washington did. Washington, George Washington almost never fought a direct battle. It was always drawing out the enemy, always using their conventional uh, warfare and tactics against them because they had a larger force. This is like Sun Tzu. I mean, this is like, you know, if you have a, uh, a, if you're a smaller force and you've got a larger force, you antagonize it. You, you continually uh, attack it from the side. You know, you use, use those kind of guerrilla tactics to, to annoy it, to, to wear it down. Um, and, and that's exactly what Sam Houston did, but he got real close to losing his army, but he woke up, you know, he went and took a, I think this is what I'm, I remember. He went to, to bed one night, was slept for like 12 hours straight, woke up, shaved and said, okay, blow the bridges. And that's where you get the term, um, remember the Alamo. And he just told all his men, that's what we're going to do. Blew the bridges. There was no escape for either party. Santa Ana had been camped out, hanging out with one of the young ladies that they had, uh, you know, picked up from however many family, however many traveling people they had with them. Uh, and he was taken by surprise. And uh, of course uh, the, I mean, it was, it only lasted like a couple of minutes because um, the Texan army was r full of rage. I mean, he had all their, uh, compatriots slaughtered in the Alamo. No quarter was given. I mean, everybody was executed down to Davy Crockett. Um, and again, Colonel Fannin, his entire, you know, 300 men uh, were put to death. So it was, it was not, you know, there was, you know, again, no, the, the flag of no quarter was flown over the Alamo or not over the, but over the, uh, uh, the church nearby the Alamo. It's just this blood red flag, which means there's no, you're not going to be able to surrender. You're going to die. So there was a, a lot of pent up anger, as you can imagine. And so anyway, it's April 21st, 1836. And um, Santa Ana, of course, escapes in a private uniform. And he's brought back uh, to Sam Houston, who was wounded. He was shot in the ankle and uh, they brought him back. And uh, Santa Ana just basically seated over Texas. Um, 
to Sam Houston. He said, I, you know, they wanted to hang the man. He said, I don't want to, I don't, I don't want his blood. I want Texas. So that, that part of our history hardly ever gets talked about. I mean, I don't even know what they teach anymore. I certainly didn't learn a lot of those things when I was uh, young and in Texas school systems. I think they, you know, again, it's the whole reason why I fought against the re reimagining of the Alamo by George P. Bush um, when he was the Texas land commission. And it's still going on. They want to, you know, neuter it and uh, create some sort of PC version of it. Uh, you know, this multicultural weird thing, instead of just telling the story, which really is a story of unity. And I wrote an article about that called um, saving the Alamo and, uh, or, or the Alamo fall twice. Uh, that's what I, that was the title of it. But anyway, it's just really um, the times in which we live and they want to change the history and change change the narrative and all of that. And uh, they wanted to spend at least half, like bottom figures were like uh, half a billion dollars, so $500 million uh, to, to make it into more of a theme park and, you know, uh, rooftop restaurants and all that stuff. I mean, this is again, just what you would, the textbook definition of a boondoggle. Okay. So um, it's important to know that history and I, I wanted to bring that up. It was funny because um, Mr. Anderson was talking to uh, to Junkyard and Junkyard said, did you know it was San Jacinto Day? He goes, no, I didn't. And, uh, and Junkyard said, did you know that? He didn't know it was San Jacinto. I said, look, I didn't bring it up. And most people did um, don't, you know, so I thought I'd bring it up here. And, um, you know, again, that's we need to do more history. We got tons of headlines. You, you know that we're facing a. And for, I was on David Knight on Thursday, folks. I'm going to give you some facts and figures. We're going to go into a, a story on Zero Hedge on de-dollarization. This is so key that you understand where we are on the world reserve currency being lost by the United States and turned into, you know, a third rate currency. What that means for us. I mean, we've not ever in our lifetimes, you know, it, it, since really the end of World War II in 1944 with, with Breton Woods, uh, that was pegging the, the, the dollar to gold at $35 an ounce. And that lasted until 1971, where Richard Nixon took us off the gold standard. And then again, you know, Henry Kissinger, and he uh, pegged it to petroleum, pegged it to crude through the Saudis, and then again through OPEC. So that's the, you know, the one was the petrodollar that lasted for over 50 years. Now we're seeing de-dollarization. So when you hear people talk about, oh, uh, well, these gold bugs are always wrong. There's We don't ever have hyperinflation. Well, yeah, of course you don't, because none of the countries that ever experienced hyperinflation were the world's reserve currency. Um, we can get away with a lot because of the usage of the dollar, like the Ponzi scheme continues because the people around the world deal in dollars, or at least they did. And so when you talk about the trillions of dollars that are going to be repatriated to the United States, it's staggering. What what is that going to do to our economy? What's that going to do to our way of life? What's this going to do to government? What's it going to do to politics? It'll probably improve politics. I mean, just off the top of my head, um, because when you don't really have the ability to use a printing press anymore, you're going to have to talk about ideas. You ever notice that no one talks about ideas anymore? You ever notice nobody runs on anything anymore? They just run on division. They run on their ego, but nobody runs on building anything or being great or having a budget or doing anything that involves like sanity. 
It's because they have a printing press. That's why all the evil in our lifetime in the modern era can track right back down to central banking. Fiat is fake. It's the head of the snake. But here's some facts and figures, and we're going to go into this article, too, and I'm sure I'll repeat it some in the article. In 2001, the dollar was used 75% of the time in global transactions. All right. 75% of the time, the dollar was used around the world in, in transactions, financial transactions. You fast forward to 2021, it goes to, it's, it's at 55%. So all the sanctions we've done, the, you know, the war in Iraq, uh, the you know, decades long war in Afghanistan, all that, uh, you know, our policy, our, you know, the, the global war, war on terror to make the world safe for democracy, according to George W. Bush, all that created a, a downgrade of the usage of the dollar. Okay. Cause we, you know, at the 2001, we were at the height of our power as a, as a superpower and influence. I mean, nobody thought, well, the United States will, will be in steep decline in 20 years. I mean, that's, it's, that was kind of unthinkable. It's like, well, who rivals us? You know, China just, you know, uh, was not even in the WTO yet. I mean, it wasn't even having most favored uh, trade status. That didn't happen until 90 days after 9-11. So nobody thought, you know, that we were going to be this pitiful giant. I mean, some people did. I mean, Pat Buchanan did. But there was a very little, you know, popular sentiment and academic sentiment. There was people thought it was going to go on forever. And the debt was five trillion dollars, which sounds really manageable now. Um, you know, it took us from our history, our beginning of our history, you know, in the 1776, if you want to start there to 2001 to accumulate five trillion dollars in, in debt and obligations. Well, now we're at 30 trillion. So this is where we, I mean, everything's accelerated. Um, and again, that I think all the, I'm an on purpose uh, uh, theorist on this. Uh, this is, this is where I, I believe in the conspiracy theory of history, because you have to work it from the inside. It's not just stupidity and it's not just arrogance. There's a plan here. Like this was an accelerated decline of the United States of America from the inside. It's why, you know, when these idiots on Fox News or some right wing person wants me to blame China, I don't blame China. Our leaders gave China everything. Our, you know, the, 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 the banksters set up China in 1949, the Rockefellers, the Rothschilds, they funded China. They made Mao's China. Uh, you know, again, and all of our if they if they didn't make one mistake, by the way, setting up China from, from the time the Trilateral Commission was born in 1973 to the time that George W. Bush uh, and friends gave uh, China the most favored trading status, you know, in, in, on December 11th, 2001. There was no mistakes. They gave them everything. We, we, they gave them the manufacturing base. We, we created NAFTA. We created CAFTA. We created GATT, the General Agreement on Trade and Tariffs. All that was set in motion to to transfer the wealth of the U.S., which is really the heart of, the, of a country, is not, not its currency, not really. It's what it can produce. And we pawn the soul of America through these free trade agreements, which really free trade agreements are the, the Trojan horse for global government, to, to quote Pat Buchanan. That's exactly what's happened. Anyway, we transferred our sovereignty. We transferred our wealth. We transferred our technology. So, I mean, if you're the Chinese, I mean, of course you take it. You know, they they gave I mean, they bought our politicians. They don't need a Chinese spy balloon. <laughs> that's that's laughable. They don't need a balloon. They have all they have most of our, of Washington, D.C. 
They have our universities because they're they're an intermediary for the bankster class, for the international banking consortiums. That's what you have to understand. That's why it's so complicated, right? It's it's like what you know if you read anything about uh, Richard Nixon and his White House, he kept banging on the desk, telling people to you know find out who's funding you know the communists are funding the the anti-war movement and he was just dead set and was like can't you you know you try to get the cia to implement the domestic intelligence program she's like these kids are being funded by the communists well he was so close he was so close um they're not necessarily funded by the communists the communists are funded by the bankers right it goes from the the, the communism isn't its own money system it, they're always funded by people with more fun, uh, funds and we're going to play a clip of george soros here in a little while and you're going to understand why managed decline and getting away from the dollar and transferring things to the Asian fear is a plan. It's just on purpose. Um, it's not an accident. Nobody's bumbling around. I mean, maybe some of them are, but their their stupidity is 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 worth something to the controllers. So we're going to talk about de-dollarization again. Two thousand one, seventy five percent of all the the transactions financially around the world were done in dollars. Two thousand twenty one, fifty five percent. Guess what it is now. After the sanctions on Russia for the Ukraine invasion, which we wanted, which we tried to get uh, over and over again, we finally got them to invade. Uh, we put sanctions on Russia so we could sanction the American people. It's not hurting Russia. The ruble, the ruble fell, you know, for about three weeks and then it bounced right back because they're going to peg, peg it to a gram of gold and so many rubles make a gram. So they, they came right back and then they said, we're not going to deal in dollars anymore. They don't want them. They called them candy wrappers. I started covering that story. I said, do you, do you see how huge this is? I mean, their energy, that's their main export is energy. And we're cutting off our energy. And we're, you know, we have 30, what, 36 countries that we sanctioned weaponizing the dollar, 40 different sanctions on 36 different countries. So we went to 47% of global usage of the dollar. Now, do you think that's going to get worse or better? <laughs> so if you're one of these Washington idiots, this always coming up with new ways to pay for stuff that we don't need and boondoggles and, you know, filling the trough for all of your, your crony capitalist friends and all of your lobbyists and all of the, the Leviathan and the Babylon that is Washington, D.C. What happens when your currency loses so much value because nobody wants it, because you debased it, because you were arrogant enough to think that it would go on forever? You know, that's happening. That's happening right now. So the question I have for everybody is, how do you plan and how do you how do you build up a a formulation in your mind for how you're going to deal with that loss I, again this is something we're, we'll figure out together because right now i have no idea other than getting into something valuable uh hedging against that hedging against it. that's why i'm in the precious metals business but i hedging against that with the land with with an asset with a business with something because you don't want to be left holding the bag and it's coming faster than we anticipate even i anticipated things in the modern era especially with technology accelerate uh our uh, buckminster fuller talked about this and it's called <laughs> accelerating acceleration it's like a tipping point and so we're watching de-dollarization happen. And again, I'm in um, <laughs> I'm broadcasting live from Hangar 18 in uh, in Rockwall, Texas. So I don't have uh, the 
ability to share my screen. So I'm going to give you guys a, a rundown of this article and just bear with me as I drink my coffee. And I'll check the Rockfin chat here in a second. But I want to pull up this article on de-dollarization. And uh, this is Zero Hedge. Uh, came out today. And it's uh, it's a defund the global police moment, says uh, Jen says de-dollarization is happening at a stunning pace. Over the last few weeks, it seems that you can't turn a page, blink a pixel, or hear a news report without some form of de-dollarization headline shrieking at you from Brazil to Saudi Arabia and from India to Argentina. An increasing number of nations are reportedly shifting away from the dollar hegemon. And this is just shows like some of the headlines. I was talking about this with David Knight two weeks ago. And it's, again, there's just more articles. No reason for Malaysia to rely on the U.S. dollar. PM warns as yuan influence grows. Another story. De-dollarization just got real. Another story. Here are seven signs that the global de-dollarization has shifted into overdrive. And number four, de-dollarization has begun. These links are all live in the article, by the way. It says, eyeballing the dollar index or some other broad index of fiat relativity, it drops modest hints, but the nature of the relationship of a one unbacked currency against another makes that comparison worthless in the longer term. Yeah, well, again, this is getting into the nuts and bolts of currency, fiat, fake versus fake. But you got to know, it's like something that uh, Lyndon Johnson said, power is where power goes and you see power waning from one influence, one, one set of influence, one country, one, one economic base, and you start seeing it shift eastward. People start betting on that. That's where the momentum is going. So below the surface, the dollars <laughs> fecal matter is striking, rotating objects at an increasing pace as Stephen Jinn infamous for his coining of the dollar smile while at Morgan Stanley, which, posits the U.S. dollar tends to do well when the economy is soaring or slumping, recently quantified just how rapidly de-dollarization is occurring. Uh, Jen, who now runs money at Eurozone, or Eurozone, SLG, warned that a, in a recent briefing that the dollar is losing its reserve status at a faster pace than generally accepted, as many analysts have failed to account for last year's frantic swings in exchange rate. The dollar suffered a stunning collapse in 2022 and its market share as a reserve currency, presumably due to its muscular use of sanctions. Exceptional actions taken by the U.S. and its allies against Russia have startled large reserve holding countries, most of which are emerging economies from the so-called global south. Yeah, that sentence alone captures why we've arrived here. It's the use of weapon, the weaponized system of sanctions and the developing countries, the countries that now looked at, you can just throw somebody off the SWIFT system. You can throw somebody off the payment system. You know, you have to convert your energy uh, use. You got to buy your, your crude or your energy through the dollar. Well, guess what? You know, they've, they're moving on. You know, Russia started this putting out their uh, their crude on the open market, taking gold, taking the yuan, taking rubles, whatever it was, and selling it at a discount to places like India. So they're already moving on from the dollar. The, the first liquid natural gas transaction 
happened uh, with China on the Shanghai Exchange. It's the first time the yuan's been used uh, for that type of uh, of energy transaction. Uh, Brazil uh, dumped the dollar for the yuan. Again, this is and it has you go back to the the BRICS nations, which Brazil, Russia, India, China, South Africa, and Saudi Arabia just applied. Mexico applied. There's 60 other countries that applied. People are sick of our bloated Leviathan with people like Joe Biden and people like if just any just look at Congress. I mean, if you look at these people that are soulless automatons uh, that have no idea, uh, either they're in on it or they're too stupid. Either way, it's, it's detrimental, right? We don't know how much how much do they know? Do they really think that this goes on forever? I mean, Marco Rubio was mad that we're losing the reserve currency status because he wants to be able to sanction people instead of wondering, like, what's it going to do to your family? What's it going to do to the everyday American who has no idea this is coming? That, that just It's always been, you know, well, there's inflation, there's rising prices. This is what they teach you in school. And you always hear the stories. Well, you know, grandpa could go to the movies for a quarter. You know, it's, it was a nickel for a hamburger or something. Yeah. Guess what? The hamburger hasn't gone up in value. They don't teach you this in school. There was nothing wrong <laughs> with that set of purchasing price and value exchange. But in order to get away with massive corruption, in order to get away with wars of choice, in order to get away with a bloated military industrial complex, you have to have a printing press. You can't have it in a gold standard. You can't have a bimetallic silver standard. You can't have that because there's accountability somewhere. And they hid it for a while. Uh, after World War II, it's one of the reasons like you have 1964, uh, it's the last time that they ran silver uh, in our in our coinage, the last time it was 90% silver. And of course, they, you know, JFK wanted to keep it that way. He signed an executive order. So they made sure his face was there. You know, he made his face put that, that last 90% uh, Kennedy half dollar or half dollar was was had his face on it. Uh, I don't think that was an I think it's a message. And so there was no, they debased the, the coinage. The world knew that. In 1967, President de Gaulle uh, from France sent over French warships to pick up the gold because they had wanted to convert their dollars, you know, $35 an ounce for gold. People knew that we were to, to pay for guns and butter. You know, the, the great society on the Mekong, as LBJ said, you know, it's, it was this ridiculous over-the-top, uh, bloated sense of thinking. We're just, we don't need, you know, we don't need any accountability. It's like uh, something Dick Cheney said uh, during the Bush administration, the deficits don't matter. So, you know, Nixon really didn't have a choice. There wasn't enough gold to back up the dollar. We have this massive exchange all over the world. We're, we're printing, we're paying for the Vietnam War, we're paying for the military industrial. So they, they got, they got away from it, made it the petrodollar. It's why, again, is gold more valuable today? than it was then. Not really. Um, but against the dollar? Absolutely. I mean, that's why in the 1970s, $35 an ounce, August 15th, 1971, $35 an ounce. When the day I was born, uh, 1979, uh, around $700 an ounce. What happened? Did, did gold, was it the best investment of all time? Well, sort of. I mean, um, if you're comparing it to dollars, does that gold buy you more? You know, can you still, I mean, it's like the the old saying, like you get a, a new suit, you know, so much land or whatever. It's basically the same. But they've been on this devaluation streak for so long. 
And the world knew it. The world knows it now. They're tired of our sanctions. They're tired of our fiscal irresponsibility. They're tired of 80. You know, they the world knows 80 percent of all the dollars ever created uh, were created in the last 48 months, um, not only for COVID-1984, but, you know, um, for just paying to to keep the, the lights on because you don't really have they can't pay the debt. Um, they can't come to terms with that. You can't have a strong dollar and save the economy. There, there is no good answers here. So all we're doing right now is marking time. And it gives you, and that's hope I'm doing my job. It's why I'm broadcasting on Sunday, just to bring this stuff up again, because it's really the most important it, story of our time. And Beans is wagging her tail because she agrees with me. Um, it's the most important story of our time that, you're watching the, the world move away from the dollar. And that means that our politicians um, or whatever they are, <laughs> the, the parasite class, they're not going to be able to do all the things that they've been doing. And a lot of the things that we find important now in our politics are going to pass away. The stuff that we're caring about now and beer cans and, you know, uh, who's sponsoring that, that stuff won't matter. It just won't. It won't be in the headlines. What's going to matter is how are people going to pay their bills? How are we going to survive that? How are we going to find value? How are we going to, again, the exchange rates, all that's going to change. It'll be a good opportunity for them to bring in central bank digital currency. We'll talk about that too. Uh, the IMF is building their you know version of it. The Bank of International Settlements, all that. They're, They've been working on it for decades, and these are the, the opportunities that they find inside the crisis, right? So we'll talk about a little bit of the IMF, and then I've got a story on 9-11 that I wanted to bring up. Um, but again, this shift could be an opportunity for you, especially if you're ahead of the ball, to make those preparations, to to meet the challenge. I think it could be, it could be a great time to... Bring something of value to the table. Start your own business. Become more independent. These aren't just, you know, these aren't just alarmist headlines, but this is happening. I can't stop it. You can't stop it. All you can do is prepare for it. So this is one of the reasons I wanted to do more content and have a conversation with each and every one of you. I hope uh, you guys are having a great Sunday. Let me go to the Rockfin chat. And somebody's tipped me. Frank, Frank Wood. Thank you, sir. I appreciate you. I want to see... Uh, who is in the chat? I see Rhonda Tate. Oh, she says, way to go. Well, that's really sweet of you. Thank you. It's my, I wanted to do something positive. I've been uh, between building Wolfpack and doing shows and Wise Wolf. And uh, I, I just, I needed to do something to, uh, to work on my, my physical uh, health. I feel like I, that's good for my stress and it was good to, to concentrate and it was good to go and, and be around other like-minded um people that it's really you go to a powerlifting meet especially the uh the ones like i compete in it's just good people everybody's trying to to help each other uh so i see i got a i got a tip from frank wood he says uh, congrats tony good job on the list well done well thank you that's really means a lot thank you for being uh in the wolf pack as well frank uh duluth hap <laughs> he says hey it's the wolf pack oh and Rhonda says thanks for we appreciate you being the watchman well, you know, I did a show last week and um, I, you know, I wake up every morning. I read all the headlines I can. I go through. I, I even have some pay services for like Intel 
that I go in and look at. And to tell you, I'm, I'm just like all of you. Um, you know, I'm in the business. I, I feel like I, I'm trying to prepare for what's coming. Uh, Kenzie and I were were going over some numbers. And um, it was funny because I was like, Ken, we, we got to find, you know, uh, some some funds. I'm like, where, where are some of these funds? And we went up tracking it back to Wolfpack. And I've been so conscientious of putting products in the reserve for that, that I literally just been stacking it back and back. And I'm like, OK, so I know at least there's at least a month worth of Wolfpack memberships just prepaid before Wolfpack even pays me. And that's where that's where the funds were. So I've been. I've been trying to anticipate this and, and we opened up the, the location in Denison, Texas, and that's fine. Guys, it took me like nine weeks to get a Google profile. They would not give me one. They would not. I had to do video conferences with them. I had to, I had to do, I had to jump through so many hoops. I had to like make business cards and show them the cards. I mean, I had to show them the street signs. I had to show them my car. I had to show them the tools that I use. I mean, this is <laughs> the, I'm, I'm guessing if I just started a subway, I don't think they would have made, made me do that. But I'm Wise Wolf, so anyway, I'm not opening up any more locations. There will, I, I don't want any more physical locations if I can help it. Uh, so we've got Branson, Missouri, which is the HQ. We've got Denison, Texas, and we've got our online. Lots of cool stuff. Uh, I got, I got the attention of the. Um, and that's because of all of you with the Wolfpack memberships. We have so many that the people that were host my website reached out to me and said, we want to help you now. It's kind of like, and I think that's great, but it's kind of like banks when you don't need money. They're like, we want to loan you money. Like, where were you when I was struggling? So uh, the good news is that Wise Wolf is really blessed because we've been on so many great podcasts and we have those loyal listeners and people that join Wolfpack. I got great customers. I have great feedback. Um, and we're not entirely debt free, but it's real close. I mean, it's, I got a few things I need to pay off and if, but we're going to go into, hopefully go into this next phase very strong. And, uh, I want to do more content. So we're, uh, ahead of the ball on that. So let's, let's talk about the IMF. And again, sorry, I can't share my screen. I don't know if I can. Yeah. It's really weird when I try it. It's, when I, if I want to share the audio, I can't share the screen, right? So let's let's just uh, I'll read you the article, and uh, if you're catching this on the podcast, uh, I appreciate you. You're, you're having to use your use your imagination anyway. Uh, the IMF unveils the Unicoin as legal tender CBDC settlement. Uh, individual CBDCs are coming together through inter. Parability. Now, the International Monetary Fund has introduced the Unicoin that may be the quote master key to the rest of CBDCs. CBDCs may still transfer peer to peer with other CBDCs, but Unicoin could provide temporary and stable storage space whenever necessary. This is from Patrick Wood over on Technocracy.news. Uh, during last week's International Monetary Fund spring meeting, uh, the Digital Currency Monetary Authority, the DCMA. Did you know that there was that? <laughs> I'm just learning all this. Uh, it turns out that that they had a cover of The Economist magazine in 1989 when I was nine years old. You can go find it online. It says time for world currency. Yeah, they were working on it. Uh, they announced the launch of the International Central Bank Digital Currency CBDC known as the Universal Monetary Unit, the UMU which is symbolized as the ANSI Chapter U. 
According to press release announcing the new currency, the UMU, also known as Unicoin, is a legal monetary commodity that can transact in any legal tender settlement currency and functions like a central bank digital currency to enforce banking regulations and, quote, protect the financial integrity of the international banking system. UMU, or Unicoin, adopts a central bank monetary fund framework to ensure it has continuous purchasing demand, minimal price volatility, and annual asset pricing targets. Well, this is what I think is the eventual end game, right? Which is, um, you, and this it kind of goes back to John, John Maynard Keynes, I think, was echoing Vladimir Lenin. If you want to destroy a country, you first debauch its currency. They both use those words. Um, John Maynard Keynes, you know, used that uh, towards the um, time of Breton Woods when he called gold a, a barbarous relic. But you first debauch the currencies. There's going to be little CBDCs and regional CBDCs that lead up to one large one, right? Which if you read your Bible or if you believe in that, like I do, I think there's, again, you're, the new world order is antithetical to history. It's antithetical to God's plan. It's anti-humanity, like one world, one thing, one everything. That is That didn't go well for the Tower of Babel. Um and that's why in the Bible, it talks about the nations. I mean, the more you consolidate, the less freedom. The bigger government gets, the smaller people get. That's the goal of the banksters. That's the goal of the, the people that, that Jesus threw out of the temple, right? When he chased the money changers out. That's, all, that's, that's why of all the, the figures in history that were whether theological or spiritual or religious, that's the one that got it right that talked about the source where it emanates. Because what, what's wrong with our world today? I mean, where does it come from? What, what where does, where do the, the people that fund both sides of, of wars, right? Th that exists, right? <laughs> that's a real thing. And that's inherently evil. So they want a one world currency. They want one thing to rule them all, right? One currency, uh, digitized. And on a blockchain in real time, shrink and contrast, you know, uh, expand the money supply in real time. That's what they want. It's, it's an obvious thing. Um, will they succeed? Open question. Depends on how much we, the people and, and humanity stands up and says, we're not going to do that. We don't need you. Um, if you ever stop and think about it, like, you know, you got all these bills of different states. Texas is working on a digitized currency backed by gold. Hey, Texas, that's great. Don't need it. Don't need you. Sorry. And, I, and again, that may be a great way, of, you know, for states to to fight back against the CBDC. But we don't need you. The reason I don't need or any of you need any government for currency is we have a gold standard around the world. We know what the spot price of gold is, whether you're in Bombay or Boston. It's the same price. Whether you're in sub-Saharan Africa or San Francisco, it's the same price. Gold is the same price. Silver is the same price. So it doesn't really matter, right? <laughs> I was what my my brother's out. You're you're live on on the Arterburn Radio transmission. <laughs> um, this doesn't matter. So you have Bitcoin. It's the same thing. We have a global price for Bitcoin on spot. You, you don't have. I don't need them. I don't need a, a currency made by a government. 
Uh, and it's interesting because that's where all this, this is where they mess up. I mean, Congress in the Constitution had the ability to coin money. Only Congress could. And it had to be gold and silver. You can look at your Constitution. Not that anybody looks at it anymore, especially the leaders. They don't even know what that is. Um, but the Federal Reserve Act in 1913 is unconstitutional. It, you can't undo it. You can't undo the Constitution without an amendment. And they didn't do anything. They didn't amend the Constitution. They just slipped it through. Um, because they called it federal and they called it reserve, even though it's not federal and there's no reserves there. They took over the money supply. And uh, Meyer Amschel Rothschild said the same the, the thing in the 19th century about I care not who sits on the, the throne of the British Empire. The person who controls the British Empire is the person who controls the money supply and I control the British money supply. OK, so it's 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 who controls. So we don't need them. If you take that out of the equation now, you could still pay your taxes in Bitcoin. You could pay. You could do not that I not that we need much tax. I don't believe in an income tax. I believe in a tariff. I believe in uh, maybe a possible consumption tax. I mean, they'd have to get back to building the roads or something or having an infrastructure for me to even support it. But that's how you do it. So, again, this whole argument about governments and we should make this is that, guys, we don't need it. Just make gold and silver legal tender, you know, make Bitcoin legal tender. We got it covered, in my opinion. And maybe somebody will come on with a stable coin that's private and decentralized. And backed by gold, I just don't like it when governments get involved in currency because that's how we got into this mess. It's, I mean, <laughs> the apocalypse is brought to you in part uh, by government-controlled currency or brought to you all in part. All right. Um, one last story, and then I'll get you guys out of here. Again, thanks for joining me on a Sunday. I just, I, I hate not getting something out onto the channel, especially when I know there's people that follow it and people that look forward to it. And I'm like, well, I'm, I'm working, but I'm going to do something. Uh, this is natural news. Uh, bombshell court filing claims that some 9-11 hijackers were CIA assets is by J.D. Hayes over on natural news. And guys, I like natural news. Um, you've heard me say this before. I like Ethan Huff. Um, some of his stories are great. I don't follow Mike Adams, uh, but I do like natural news. Uh, a recent court filing has made an explosive claim that at least two of the 9-11 hijackers were recruited into a joint CIA-Saudi intelligence operation that was covered up at the highest levels. A relationship between Alex Station, a CIA unit tasked with monitoring al-Qaeda chief Osama bin Laden and his associates, and two 9-11 hijackers leading up to the attacks have been called into question by a newly released court filing which suggests that, that there was a cover-up at the highest levels of the FBI regarding the matter, according to the gray zone. Spy talk has obtained a 21 page declaration by Don Canstero, a lead investigator for the office of military commissions responsible for overseeing the cases of nine 11 defendants. The filing summarizes classified government discovery disclosures and private interviews conducted by Canstanero with anonymous high-ranking officials from the CIA and the FBI. The interviewed agents who led Operation Encore, the Bureau's discontinued extensive investigation into the Saudi government's ties to the 9-11 attack, shared their insights with Canstanero and uh, the site notes that as well. Operation Encore which involved conducting numerous lengthy interviews with various witnesses producing hundreds of pages of evidence 
uh, formally investigating multiple Saudi officials and launching a grand jury investigation a, to a U.S.-based network for the hijackers allegedly run by Riyadh was suddenly terminated in 2016. Well, that's interesting. Why do you suppose that is? <laughs> Did they think they were going to have somebody new in the White House? Weren't exactly sure how that was going to go? Well, that's good. They have new court filings and, you know, you have uh, architects and engineers for 9-11 Truth. You have pilots for 9-11 Truth. Uh, I think this is wonderful. Don't forget this story. You know, when they say never forget. No, don't forget. We still don't know the, what happened. You know, you have two planes, three buildings. Al-Qaeda means the database. It doesn't mean there's a base of, for terrorism. This was a database of Mujahideen fighters and Muslim Brotherhood that was taken over by the American intelligence apparatus from the British who inherited it after World War II. And we used that to fight the Soviets. In 1979, you had the adoption of uh, Al-Qaeda uh, by the Central Intelligence Agency and, of course, their operative, Tim Osman, who is Osama bin Laden. This is, this is I mean, beyond dispute. You have the, uh, and by the way, I was in Afghanistan right after 9-11, and we had high-ranking uh, intelligence officials there that were looking for Osama bin Laden. But years later, I would read that in the CIA, they were meeting with uh, Osama bin Laden in July of 2001. The station chief in Dubai met with bin Laden when he's having kidney treatment, supposedly the most you know wanted terrorist after the USS Cole, all of this. And they knew where he was in Rawalpindi, Pakistan, on September 10th. This was, this is, this has been uncovered. So there's a deep, there's a compartmentalization of intelligence that went on. So you can't like just lump in everybody, right? Everybody that works there, everybody's in on it. That's not how this works. Um, but you have again a World Trade Center seven, Building Seven, uh, free fall collapsing into its own front footprint, uh, wasn't hit by a plane. It collapsed from office fires. Are you kidding me? Office fires make your building collapse into its own footprint like a controlled demolition at free fall speed. Oh, that's news to me. Do we have a new building code because of it? <laughs> then you have the University of Alaska Fairbanks who studies the this, comes out and says, uh, yeah, there's no way that you can have si simultaneous destruction of the components to hold up the building at the same time. It's impossible. You'd have to have a a, a, a outside force to cause that an office fire no matter how because you see office fires rage all over the world the buildings don't fall and if they do if a building's going to collapse it's going to fall sideways it's not going to do a control thing like you're in las vegas starting a new casino but that's what they sold you and they've redacted all the pages from the saudi government of course the saudis again you have the the, the read the story of the the uh, operatives that were arrested in new jersey on 9-11, the dancing Israelis who are, were held, Fox News covered this story. But I mean, I can't believe it, but they did. They covered the story and they were held for 70 days. They were held for seven and then let go under some deal. And they showed up on Israeli television saying that we were just there to document the event. So the official story is garbage. I don't know what happened. You don't know what happened. But the problem is, is that somebody does. And it's not what uh, the TV says. It's not what some mainstream hairdo, brain dead automaton mannequin says. Um, that's not what happened. There's something else to it. So I, I applaud stuff like this. When we have any sort of movement, any sort of court filing, any sort of 
you know, lurch towards the truth. I mean, look at the JFK assassination. People are still, even after all these years, still finding things. Um, friends, people like my friend Don Jeffries, who works worked his whole life since he was a teenager, looking at these uh, uh, these conspiracies and and uh, crimes by the deep state. So we we got to keep fighting. That's why it's why alternative media is so important. That's why uh, we have to hold ourselves accountable. That's why I don't do silly things. You know, I mean, <laughs> we we could we could talk about a lot of stuff that I that that's probably interesting and get some headlines. But we got to dive in. We got to go to the truth, and that's what um, I designed my show to do. All right, we got a few minutes. Let's do. Uh, let me pull up gold and silver prices. And again, appreciate all you guys. Um, I'm going to build a studio here eventually, and we'll uh, we'll have a little bit better sound and interaction and all that stuff. But uh, today, just doing the best I can. Uh, gold and hey, this I like seeing this. Uh, it's down twenty two dollars an ounce. Good gives you an opportunity to get back in. To it, uh, one thousand nine hundred eighty-three Luciferian Bankster notes per trillion ounce, one thousand nine hundred eighty-three Federal Reserve fiat dollars per trillion ounce for the yellow metal. Uh, again, down uh, twenty-two dollars and eight cents since uh, the opening uh, today, and I'm sure it's trading around the rest of the world on our Sunday as markets open up. Tw uh, silver twenty-five dollars, uh, uh, twenty-five lbns and eight cents. Uh, per troy ounce for the white metal. Uh, these are prices I think we'll look back on uh, eventually, and it will seem silly, um, given where we're about to see the this transfer of a global uh, currency, and it's not going to just going to go to the yuan. We're talking about a mixture of currencies. Um, it's kind of like when in the Weimar Republic, Germany, they looked to other American dollars, you know, uh, pound sterling. Uh, they were they were looking at other currencies. They were using gold and silver. It's not just going to be one thing or two things. It's going to be a whole basket of them, a basket of commodity backed currencies. Could be the BRICS nations. Um, so one of the reasons now I'm I'm kind of buying more South African Krugerrands. I mean, they're part of the BRICS nations. I mean, um, that's a spendable currency. Um, in my opinion, and some, something and get a good deal. It's cheaper than the American stuff. Um, so anyway, if you if you want to turn uh, some of your soon to be worthless fiat reserve <laughs> federal reserve notes, you can give me a call. You can go to wisewolf.gold, uh, and of course uh, our membership program wolfpack.gold. Uh, we've got hundreds and hundreds of members all over the country. Uh, I'm working as much as I can to to get that supply chain really just pad that as as much as I can knowing what we're going up against. So you got guaranteed delivery every week, uh, like clockwork. You're going to get your uh, packages in the mail. And as soon as your card is billed, we got that on a separate system. Um, and uh, Kinsey will write up the invoice and show you comparison invoice. And we save you a bit. Um, and that's been the goal the, all along. So folks, uh, I appreciate you uh, from Beans the Brave and myself. Uh, we wish you a, a wonderful rest of your Sunday. It's uh, awesome that you guys showed up uh, just to hang out with me. And uh, I'll put this up on the podcast. Go subscribe to Paratruther, uh, please. And uh, subscribe to the podcast for the Art of Burn Radio transmission. Subscribe to the Wise Wolf Golden Crypto Show. I will be doing more uh, Wise Wolf Golden Crypto shows. And this is a prom. I made the promise. I'm here this Sunday. I'm going to do more shows. Um, but uh, all of you, thank you so much. Uh, take care of each other. End of transmission.